Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Sam, since the last time we did a show, a lot of things have changed in the last five days or so. Of course, it was on Tuesday of last week that we were we are sitting here talking about, you know, kind of uh, you know how the UFC has handled this situation in terms of COVID nineteen and everything. And then, of course, uh, you know, I remember when we did the show. You even mentioned you're like, "Hey, man, I, I still don't think this show ultimately happens." Uh, and of course, it's not going to happen. And, and I'll share a little story. So it was what Thursday when the show was officially uh, postponed, I guess would be the proper term, the USC term they're using. I, I was on the phone uh, with Pete Rogers Jr., who, I, who of course, is a, a fighter, fought in Bellator, fights yeah. CES. We, we do a DFS show together. We're, we're already starting to kind of prepare for, hey, we got some shows coming up next week. And, you know, I told him, I said, I go, if this fight card is going to be canceled, I think it's within the next 40, 48 to 72 hours. I was like, if we get to Monday and the fights is still go, I, I think you're pretty confident this fight card is going to happen. And I think literally about four, four hours after that conversation, uh, the card is postponed in that interview that, that Dana White gave Brett Akimoto. But I, I really think we should start off with kind of the timeline of everything, you know, it was last Tuesday when Jeff Sherwood puts out that tweet noting about the event going place at Tachi Palace. Uh, the New York Times had a yeah. story about the situation. I had a piece with statements from uh, the Associated Boxing Commission and Combative Sports Board directors about their thoughts of the event. Of course, there was a Wall Street Journal story as well, and 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 so many things. And of course, you know, uh, you know, Governor Newsom, what you know, he ultimately did. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, her her statement out there, and, and really at the end of the day, like, look, and I know that you know people are trying to cast blame, especially on the media. I think the media has become the easy scapegoat for certain people in this industry, but at the end of the day, it's politicians who also forced disney and espn's hand and you know a lot of people are saying this is a political issue you know malki kawa issued a tweet you know claiming that you know gavin newsom the governor of california his ex-wife kimberly guilfoyle is dating donald trump jr well the the, the governor and kimberly guilfoyle guilfoyle Foyle, they divorced in 2006 both of them have s- since remarried and kimberly guilfoyle actually divorced again so, you know, because when I when I read that tweet, I was like, well, wait a minute. He, he, she was she wasn't married to, to Newsom. She was married to the furniture heir. And because I, I remember when she first started dating Donald Trump Jr., that was a big deal. That was in the news. So I'm like, this doesn't add up. And I researched it and I saw that, yes, she was married to Governor Newsom. But that ended back in 2006. This is not a political issue. This is a COVID-19 issue. It's not political. It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's not, you know, socialist. It's not left wing. It's not right wing. It's not center. This is an issue of leaders out there that that have chosen not to politicize this issue. Their governors, such as Governor Cuomo in New York, Governor Newsom in California, whose approval rate is now at 83 percent out in California, they are trying to save lives. 
I don't think people in MMA necessarily, I think a lot of people do, but I think there's a segment of the MMA population that is completely either in denial or just completely ignorant. Thousands of people are, are losing, have, have lost their lives. And, you know, you look at the statistics that came in, the data that came in from New York, I believe one day uh, they lost, you know, close to 750 lives in one day. And then the next day it was 799. You know, it's just, it's staggering. And I think a lot of people, you know, that have vested financial interest in the UFC putting on events, they're either unknowingly ignorant or they're deliberately putting out false or misleading information stating as to why they believe it's safe and okay to do an event right now. And it's, it's, it's not. There are things that potentially the UFC and other sports leagues can do to minimize the risk, but you can't eliminate it right now, not until there's a vaccine. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to get into kind of, uh, I guess, the the anger, frustration of certain individuals in this one. You know, one of the things you kind of mentioned there, I'll kind of touch on here is, you know, there's there's a, a portion of the MMA community that I, I sometimes I wonder, are they out of touch with reality? Yeah, they, the well, fact that you stop wondering, they are. I, you know, I think that you have a lot of intelligent MMA fans, a lot of just you know casual sports fans, or hardcore, you know, people that have come up through, through, through the years. But I think you have a segment of just, I guess, you know, I, I think that they're either in still in high school or you just have disaffected white males that, you know, have no connection to, to, to humanity. I mean, they, they, they potentially live alone or they live with their parents. Maybe they're not doing so well in life. And, you know, they see MMA as an escape for them and they see the fighters as disposable action figures put on this earth for their entertainment. And they, they are not disposable action figures. They are real human beings that suffer consequences when fights do not go their way. You know, uh, you know, I, I had a, throughout this whole process, I had a lot of questions. And, you know, one of the questions I had was about the COVID-19 testing that would take place. Um, you know, and, and one of my thoughts was how were the UFC getting these tests and why should athletes and entertainers get those tests versus people who truly need it? Um, I know when Doctors I saw nurses, perhaps, you know, people that are in the front lines that are very exposed to this. Correct. My, my sister-in-law is a nurse, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, I do know in speaking with Kama Worthy, who was scheduled to be on the fight card, I, I should note, he's a Jason House client. We'll get into <laughs> Jason House tweet later on. Yes, well, yes, we um, will. But Kama had mentioned that his understanding was that he was going to be taking three COVID-19 tests. Uh, the first one was actually going to be before he went out there. Three. Um, that was the way he had, he put it to me. One before, one as he got to California, and then one as he was leaving. Um, you know, I, I think the question is, is, is you know, and, and and look, I didn't press him on the situation, but I think those questions are okay. How are these tests being administered? Are where are you going to get these tests? Whatnot? All all question marks that in reality we don't know. I mean, one of the things that I, I kind of my my ultimate point about all of this was. You know, if you're going to go forward with an event, Dana White could pull this thing off is medical wise. Are we making sure we're taking every protocol and going a step further? This can't be UFC Brasilia where we're just taking temperatures. This, this can't be that. That right. was always my question mark is if this event goes forward, it is about of, okay, how are we making sure that 
everyone involved in the event, not just the fighters, not just the cornermen, not just, uh, you know, the production team, inspectors, doctors, everyone involved. How are we making sure we're putting them in a safe environment? Well, you know, the, 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 there's two ways from what I've read. It's the testing or assuming that everyone has it and you quarantine them for 14 days and you keep them isolated, you keep them sequestered, and then during whatever activity they're going to partake in, you completely keep them isolated. I think Major League Baseball has talked about the, the plan to do games in Arizona and Florida. They floated the idea about tests, and there was an adverse public reaction to that because you look at all the teams and all the personnel, they would need a lot of tests. So one of the uh, you know countermeasures that was floated was that, hey, everyone would quarantine for 14 days. And the belief is that whether you have it or not, if you quarantine and you're isolated for 14 days and you don't show any symptoms, if you had it, you, you, you got over it and you're no longer carrying it or you're no longer experiencing COVID-19 itself. And I think that's ultimately what the UFC will need to do if they want to pull off a, a an event anytime soon, whether it's in California, whether it's in the United States or it's on Dana White's Fight Island. I think that is the way to go. You know, we talk, you know, I don't know if you want to get into Fight Island right now, but to me, the way to do it, Jason, if it's especially, you know, we, we don't know what kind of island it is. It's a private island, but, you know, uh, you know, so, uh, as someone who uh, plays someone on a podcast that has owned a private island but really doesn't, not all private islands are, are created equal. So we don't know. We don't know what it is. But if it's in, you know, the Atlantic, you would think that, you know, maybe they can go to a city like Miami or a city that has a cruise ship terminal. Um, I remember doing shows in Fort Lauderdale, and we were right across from a cruise ship terminal. And I would think that you know maybe you 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 know these big tourist hotels down in South Florida, most of them are sitting empty right now. If you're the UFC, maybe you rent one of these out. You bring as many fighters as you can, as much personnel as you can. You put them in that hotel for 14 days. You keep them isolated. You hire. Uh, hospitality staff that maybe have been furloughed and laid off to, to you know, come back to work at the hotel and, you know, uh, to drop meals off at the door. And, and if, the, if the fighters and their families need anything, they go out and, to, you know, they go out and get it and bring it back, drop it off the door. And then after the 14 days, you, you, you rent a cruise ship, whether it's a small to medium or, or potentially a larger one. Uh, you put everybody on that ship. You take them to the island. Um, you figure out a way to get them off the ship and onto the island. Um, and then you use potentially that same ship as the fighters quarters. Uh, you know, the, those uh, those cruise ships have medical facilities. Perhaps you use that as not only a triage, but also, uh, you know, emergency services as well, which you have to have access to uh, if you do an event. You know, even if you're self-regulated, you still want to make sure the fighters are taken care of. Uh, God forbid, you know, a, a fighter suffers a subdural subdural hematoma. Um, and you're the, and the only way to get them to a you know a trauma center is, is you know a two-hour airlift helicopter ride off that island onto the mainland. So you've got to not only have a triage uh, for for minor and basic medical uh, needs, but you need to have you know life support services as well. Uh, you know a trauma center, if you will. Yeah, you know I think one of the things about Fight Island, and and this is just me pure speculating on where it potentially could be. There was two options I thought of, and someone else brought up a third option to me. To me was, you know, with their relationship with the people over in Abu Dhabi, 
Does Abu Dhabi have some island that they're working with them on to to put it there? Um, I, I thought of Richard Branson, the, the you know executive you know with Virgin Atlantic. You know, it's well known he's got an island. Someone no. had mentioned Tony Robbins. Apparently, has an island as well. Oh wow! I know that. Yeah, I know that he, him, and Dana White. Have, I don't know if they're best friends, but I believe they do. They do speak. Pure, and that's pure speculation on my part. It's pure speculation. Well, but I another, think one was floated, another one that was floated, sorry to cut you off there, Endeavor, I believe Eddie Murphy is one of their entertainment clients, and it's believed that Eddie Murphy owns a private island as well. And you've got to think that even if it's not Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, Endeavor does have quite a few high-profile entertainment clients that probably own some type of island. And the one thing that I've always taken note when Dana White has talked about Fight Island is he's talked about we're getting the infrastructure put together, which to me tells me, I mean, obviously you got to imagine that's that's a hospital aspect. That's a medical aspect. That's probably the aspect of how are we getting the fights back to ESPN? Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's, yeah, it, it, sorry to cut you off, but, you know, people cite, oh, Bodog fight did it in Costa Rica. Well, I don't know if it was a true isolated island. I'd have to go back and look it up. But even if it was, they taped those shows. They did not beam those shows live, you know, across the globe to ESPN and other international TV partners. That's a major, major uh, bridge that they're going to have to cross. You know, how do you get a either a satellite dish hooked up to a generator or a satellite truck? I mean, you would have to load it onto some kind of ferry or, you know, that cruise ship if it had a cargo space maybe you could put some of those production trucks on there but uh, that's yeah, i'm glad you brought that up jason that's a huge hurdle the actual live feed you know taping shows is a completely different ball game than actually broadcasting a live event and of course you brought up this topic to me about fight island with you know one of the things of our world with all film production being shut down yeah. Um, you know, TV production has followed that, you know, we're getting close to where, you know, pilot seasons are, are, are being shot for the, you know, prime time for the fall will start being shot. You know, what are the networks going to do in the fall? And we're talking about the networks, you know, particularly NBC, ABC, Fox, CBS. And if the UFC can somehow pull this file Island off, could they find themselves on ABC? I think that it's going to take a lot of work to pull this off. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if th I think there is a right way to do it. And if Dana does it the right way, and we can talk about some of the things that I think he needs to start doing and stop doing, but let's say he can pull this off, the UFC will be in an excellent position. Because as we talked about on Twitter, as I brought up to you, you know, offline, the, the, the huge issue that I see coming into September, not only is film production shut down, which really necessarily isn't the, the, the biggest deal when movie theaters aren't open, but TV is still broadcasting you. That's what a lot of people are relying on to get through their days right now. Pilot season's coming up and just the seasons where, you know, network shows, uh, you know, get, you know, are, are filming so that they can be ready to go September and October for the fall season. Those shows right now are not going to get filmed on time. The, the production is going to be delayed. And come September, you're going to have ABC, Fox, CBS, ABC, all these networks that are going to be running reruns. You know, you tune into ESPN, you see the reruns of the classic games. Well, you know, unless something changes drastically, you're, we're all going to be watching reruns of, you know, classic shows. You know, I mean, if I was a TV executive, I'm reaching out to Netflix, I'm reaching out to maybe HBO, all of these paywall networks and seeing if I can get some of the, their older content, getting rights fees, 
you know, and, and repurposing that so that at least I have some content that maybe a lot of people have not seen because they're not going to have first run content. But can you imagine a world come September and October, Jason, a TV world where there are no new uh, episodes of, of first run uh, series and, and dramas and comedies, no NFL and no NFL? You know, if you're network executive right now, you are sweating bullets. What are you going to do? Advertising revenues down. I get it. But, you know, the companies that are still out there, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to command much money from them if you're putting nothing but second and third run uh, broadcasts on. So, I, you know, if, if, if Dana White can pull this off, they're not only in a position to provide content to ESPN, but if, you know, if I'm an ABC exec, you know, first I'm calling Disney Plus, you know, because that's under the corporate umbrella, and I'm seeing if I can get some of the, uh, you know, the, the 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 content that they produced. You know, the Mandalorian. You would think with season two, you know, expect to come out October, November. It would make a lot of sense for ABC to start airing the first season, uh, you know, early September and promoting the, the the launch of season two on Disney Plus. But I'm also looking for for other options, and without the, you know, without you know, sports broadcasts, uh, you know, I'm talk, see what I can do with ESPN and UFC to broadcast some, some big fights on my network. And we, we, that, that, that's another point that I want to bring up Bellator. What is CBS going to do? CBS can maybe fall back on, uh, it's uh, CBS all access. I know that they have some Star Trek shows that have not aired on regular CBS. They have some other dramas. I believe they filmed, maybe they can repurpose some of that content and get that out on uh, CBS regular. But, you know, we, it's been talked about now Viacom and, um, you know, uh, ha- having remerged with CBS, you know, if, if CBS, if, you know, all things being equal, I don't know if Bellator is drawing a high enough rating on Paramount, Paramount Network to bring that content into the fold and put it on in prime time. But things are not equal right now. Things, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic and, you know, that's a lot of content's not getting filmed. Bellator could be in a position if they can find a way to get back going here come the fall. Perhaps they could be on CBS doing primetime events as well. Before all of this, this global pandemic went down, um, I was very much in the belief that the days of Bellator on Paramount were coming to an end and that it was going to be a transition to Showtime and to put big events on CBS. I, I truly expected that we were going to see a Bellator car on CBS at some point, probably in quarter four. I, I really believe that. Um, and, and the reality is, is that Bellator is a much better fit on Showtime than they are on Paramount. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously with Steven es- with Scott Coker now answering to Steven Espinoza with how everything has changed, I also kind of felt that that was kind of where we saw Bellator going. And, and I think that's a, a positive direction for Bellator going. Now, of course, Bellator's next show is not till I believe it's June 6th. It's going to be in Chicago, the one that's uh, scheduled to be headlined by uh, Chandler and, and Henderson. And I really think in terms of just – MMA product. I think May 15th is a critical date. That is the date I keep hearing from people just that kind of when they they talk about these safe at home orders that really May 1 is not the critical date to look at. It's actually May 15th. You know, uh, maybe that's the point where maybe it starts to get reduction. I know L.A. County in in California just uh, extended theirs to May 15th. I I would be surprised here in Florida if we're not extended till May 15th. Right now we're we're through uh, April 30th. So, you know, we're still, you know. 
<laughs> two plus weeks away from that, and I'm I'm very bored, Sam. I'm ready for these stand up. It was funny. I was, I was walking my dog yesterday, and uh, one of the neighbors was out growing, and and he's like, "Man, you bored like I am?" I'm like, yeah, pretty much, you know. But there's one of the things that kind of in relation to Fight Island, but also another way is, you know, a lot of people are drawing comparisons to the WWE and AEW. Now, I'm pretty sure AEW's actually taped a lot of content over yes. the past couple of weeks. Yeah. But of course, it was yesterday on Saturday. Of course, we're recording this here on Easter Sunday that WWE confirmed a positive COVID nineteen test. And the fact is, isn't it tomorrow the WWE's going back live with Raw? Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, just keeping up with things on you know the Wrestling Observer website. The initial plan, I believe, as of Thursday, early Friday, right before, hours before the airing of SmackDown on Friday night on Fox, the plan was to tape Raw, SmackDown, and NXT this weekend and going into Monday, do five episodes a day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and have five weeks of television uh, in the can for you know upcoming for the upcoming uh, month or so. Um, but... Vince McMahon, last minute, made a pivot, called an audible and said, no, we're going actually we're going the opposite direction. We are going back to live. And it's been speculated as to why he made such a rash decision when five episodes of each broadcast was planned to be taped this weekend uh, as we tape this. Um, And so, you know, what, what the speculation is, you know, ratings are low, but also in their contracts with both Fox and USA, according to the Wrestling Observer website and Dave Meltzer, that in their contracts with each network, it stipulates that they can do up to three taped shows per year. Everything else has to be live. Well, they've taped quite a few shows. And the belief is that if they continue to run tape shows, that they will be in default. They will be in violation of their contract with the networks. And, you know, common sense suggests that the networks would be understanding that they're not going to cancel their contracts with WWE, considering that we're in a the, in the, the midst of a global pandemic. And WWE is one of the few um, outlets out there actually producing unique new content. But the concern is looking long term is what happens if the ratings continue to drop because SmackDown's rating this past Friday was incredibly low. I believe it was the lowest of the year. The ratings continue to, to suffer if the networks continue to suffer with loss of advertising, you know, with the companies not in a position to, to launch big media campaigns or maybe even having the money, but just not seeing the value with no NFL potentially starting on time, no Major League Baseball, no NBA and, you know, no, no first run primetime uh, television potentially not being able to start in September when it normally does. Would they look to cut costs? Would they look to scale back, lay off employees and potentially maybe get out of some of their big contracts or renegotiate, use this current uh, circumstances as leverage to go back to WWE and get a different monetary value assessed to the, the shows that they're producing? And from according to the Wrestling Observer, the WWE did not want to put themselves in that gray area. They didn't want to. They don't want to be at risk, so they've decided they're going to go back to live. And you know that made me think about Dana White and his strong desire 
to, to do these shows. And, you know, perhaps some of it is, you know, the Dan Wetzel and the Yahoo article, he wanted, you know, some of it's his ego. He just wants to be able to be the, the only game in town. He wants to be the first major sports league to start doing uh, live events again. And, you know, he, he takes it as a personal challenge when people tell him, no, he can't do it. But part of it also could be that they don't want to be in default of their contract with ESPN. It's one thing for ESPN to say, hey, we don't want the shows that you're working to produce right now and promote. It's another thing for ESPN to say, hey, wait a minute, where are those, you know, you, you're not making enough effort to put these shows on. You guys are in violation of your contract. And ESPN, by all accounts, has been a tremendous partner to the UFC and vice versa. But that's the circumstance and environment today. Four, eight, 12 weeks from now, if the economy continues this downturn, you know, things can change. So, you know, is that part of the, the reason why Dana has been so adamant about getting shows back on? And is he as upset about not doing the shows maybe as he lets on in the media? Maybe from their side, it's, it's potentially that is the case. Or it could be, you know, more, hey, you know, it's good that we don't have to do these events, but we did, you know, it was ESPN telling us they don't want the shows. And that raises another question, another point here. So Dana was, you have to assume that Dana was proceeding with the Tachi Palace UFC 249 event with ESPN's blessing, that they wanted the content until the heat got applied to them from Governor Newsom and Disney. What happens if Dana White and the UFC goes to all this trouble to build the infrastructure for Fight Island and they move heaven and earth to make this happen? And ESPN right now is, is probably excited about the prospect of having live sports content, the pay-per-views, the, the fight night events. They're probably very excited about this. But Dana White continues to manage himself the way he has in, in public and bring this negative attention onto himself in the UFC. And ESPN starts feeling pressure. Disney starts feeling pressure even about Fight Island. What happens if they call it off? They say, hey, it's, it's, you want to keep doing this, Dana? That's fine. But we're feeling too much heat. We can't proceed. The only reason to do these events at Tachi Palace or at Fight Island is because of ESPN. You're not, you know, you're not going to see. Doesn't make sense to do Fight Island if ESPN pulls out and says, "Hey, the timing isn't right. The 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 the, the culture is not, uh, you know, uh, receptive of doing lives going back to to business as usual and doing live sporting events and potentially fighters being at risk. They're, it's not the right time. We're we're getting a lot of blowback, and they pull out of that. You're not going to see Dana White. I mean, there's no point in doing Fight Island for UFC Fight Pass. You know, where is it going to broadcast? if ESPN pulls out and isn't going to pay the rights fee. So, you know, and that's, you know, people keep going back to WWE and AEW and they do have their detractors. There are people out there. I, I read the, the, you know, the tweets, you know, and, and I, I've heard people talk about how they don't think it's the right thing to do, but what you don't see uh, happening is you don't see Tony Khan. You don't see Vince McMahon going on ESPN or sending out tweets and attacking people. There's a lot going on in the world right now that's negative. People are scared right now. People are losing their jobs. People are getting sick. People are dying. People are suffering severe health uh, issues that are going to impact them for the rest of their life. And you don't see Vince McMahon going on ESPN and stoking the flames and pushing the envelope and you know going on Twitter and attacking the media. Whether he's upset or not, he's not bringing that, introducing that negativity and calling attention to himself and what they're doing. They're trying to keep as low as a pro, low profile as possible. And Dana hasn't done that. Dana is out there. And, you know, I don't think that he has been, you know, sympathetic enough towards what's going on. He hasn't expressed enough concern. It's, it's, he's been, he's trying to bulldoze his way into doing these shows during a time in which he needs to use finesse and be very PR savvy. And, you know, the, the 
people are going to respond to that by saying, well, that's not Dana White. He's not Adam Silver. He's not Rob Manfred. He's not a Wall Street CEO. He's not going to be politically correct. And I get that. And that's fine in most situations. But if Dana White sincerely wants to put on shows, if he wants to make that happen, he can't continue to operate in, in, in the media this way. He's got to change his tenor. He's got to change his tone. I would recommend to him to go out and actually hire a PR crisis firm and start you know, getting some advice, getting coaching and listening to it. And that, you know, if you were to hear this podcast, you would probably shrivel at that notion. But, you know, I would respond to Data White and say, do you or do you not want to put on shows? Because calling this much negative attention to, to what you're trying to do, it's not going to cut it. Vince McMahon is not out there throwing gasoline on the fire. Don't worry. I was on the UFC's radar this week. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get into that. All right. Um, but this question kind of in relation to what you were talking about there came from at uh, George one UFC fan on Twitter. He said, well, the UFC still try to put on 42 events this year, no matter what the cost, even if putting on two or three events a week or in the same day to meet the goal for the record, I believe they will. Now, reason he mentions 42 is because that's what they're contractually obligated to bring to ESPN. Um, you know, I, I think if you want to look at the, the, the positive aspects of, of whenever we uh, get to a normal life, I, I am with George. I truly believe Dana White is going to attempt to put together 42 of total events this year. Uh, they've put together eight so far. Um, you know, it, but I, I think the positive aspect as a fight fan, whenever we do get back to normal, it's going to be a great couple months of fights, of fights that everyone wants to see. Um, I, I just think the more of the question is, is when will ESPN sign off on say, okay, okay, Dana, Hunter, go ahead and start, start putting cards together. Oh, I think they want to do that. I think they'd be willing to do shows today if they could. They want the content. They want to be able to sell something unique and dynamic and live to advertisers to keep that, you know, to get that revenue coming in. But the, the, the question is, you know, the, it goes back to what we just talked about in the last segment, public pressure. You know, it, you know, Gavin, uh, Governor Newsom, you know, uh, in California, he essentially shut down the UFC event. But the UFC could have proceeded with that event. Governor Newsom can't necessarily stop an event from happening on sovereign tribal land. He doesn't have that jurisdiction. He didn't call the Tachi Palace or the Tachi tribe and try to get that shut down. He called Disney and put pressure on Disney to get it shut down. UFC could have technically, theoretically, still proceeded with the event, but without ESPN to broadcast it, doesn't make much sense to do it. But, uh, you know, I just think that, you know, the, just the, the political landscape, it, 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 you know, if Disney feels that pressure, if ESPN feels that pressure, they're not going to do it. They, you know, because the long term consequences are severe, especially in a state like California. You know, Dis you have Disneyland out there. You know, maybe Disney's not filming as much in Hollywood as, you know, uh, in years past. You know, there's a lot of different areas of the country where, you know, movies are being filmed. But all their post-production facilities are out there in California. Disney has a lot of their business operations are based out of California. A lot of companies are. The last thing that you want to do is piss off the governor of California. And Disney has their tentacles in so many different properties in entertainment. They do not want to piss people off that are that are influ influential. So ESPN and you know ESPN wants to move forward with this until they feel the heat. 
Yeah, you know, I believe the number I saw is that Disney has 200,000 employees just in the state of California that plays into it. The tribal land, I think, is a very interesting aspect to put on this. And, um, you know, there's a great piece uh, that John McCarthy, you can check it out on his podcast. He talked about nine minutes kind of about this whole situation. Now, the fact is that CSAT, California State Athletic Commission, was not going to regulate this. As John McCarthy notes, Tachi does not have a commission. And if you go back to the original when Dana White announced this event, he talks about a state athletic commission running it. Well, that's not wasn't going to be the case. Nope. Um, and you obviously have dealt with tribal land and tribal commissions. Now, there's we'll get into the ABC aspect here momentarily, but this is not like Bellator going to Thackerville where the Chickasaw Nation has their own commission. Yeah. This is not Bellator going to Mohegan, where they have their own commission. This is not uh, you know Bellator going overseas because they use the Mohegan tribe and Mike right. Mazzulli to regulate their events, but kind of talk to people a little bit about kind of how it works on the tribal aspect. So it's an interesting question because when I was with Bellator, Bellator now is not doing this, but when I was with Bellator, there was two different types of scenarios. You talked about Thackerville at Windstar. You talked about Mohegan Sun, where we would do events on sovereign land, on reservation land, but there were commissions, athletic commissions capitated to the ABC. Even though they weren't their own individual state, they were perceived as legitimate commissions, and they were attached to the ABC. They weren't just some independent commission operating in space. They were ABC-sanctioned commissions. But then we did events such as the the one in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, There was two – there was a – casino partner that we worked with for a couple events in Oklahoma, not Windstar. It was the, uh, you know, I'd have to go back through Sherdog. It was the, the event where we did Eric Larkin versus Kenny, Kenny Foster and Kenny Foster upset, uh, Eric Larkin. At least I thought it was an upset coming into it. Um, you look at, you know, those, those two Oklahoma shows that weren't Windstar, you look at the Yuma show, they, it was sovereign land, but there were no commission. Um, so what we, you know, Joe Kelly was our operations director at the time at Bellator. He brought in, you know, an all-star commission, but it was an independently operated commission that technically we oversaw it. That's, if you recall, Jason, the Joe Warren fight, uh, I think Joe, who did Joe Warren fight in Yuma? Um, was it Wilson Hayes? They, they thought Joe lost the fight, but the, the, the scorecard, uh, the judges came in in favor of Joe and it was a huge controversy. We were accused of having fixed the fight. We, you know, we did no such thing, but it was a bad look for us because it was a commission that we hired that in theory was beholden to us because we were issuing paychecks directly to them. Joe Kelly put it together just like he put, you know, commissions uh, together for the two Oklahoma shows that weren't Winstar. And all the people that he used for the show were commission of, were officials from other commissions. They weren't, you know, average Joes that we said, hey, you know a lot about MMA. You've never officiated an event, but hey, you can work for us. That wasn't the scenario. We brought them in. They were licensed officials from other commissions that came in and worked. Um, But at the end of the day, they reported to to us um, and it was a bad look. So, um, you know, that's that's one way to look at it. And that's what Tachi Palace would have been, you know, to, to think in this day and age, it would have been a commission that the UFC put together and oversaw, not a uh, fully operating commission on tribal land that was attached or capitated to the ABC. 
Uh, it would have definitely not necessarily been the best look, but you know, Dana, as we said, was very committed to making the event happen at all costs. But there was blowback. You know, you talked about it. You know, with the ABC, they, they you know, they weren't necessarily happy that Dana was going to go that route. And this is let me just read what the ABC board director statement. So this was on Tuesday night of last week. The Association of Boxing Commission Combat Sports Board of Directors, that's a very important part of this, the Board of Directors, are very concerned with an event being on tribal land without the regulation by a tribal-slash-state athletic commission. The ABC concurs with the Association of Ringside Physicians that it's a very trying time for the entire world. Fighter safety is paramount. If the fight occurs, it would be considered a non-sanctioned event since a state-slash-tribal commission will not be present. All officials that decide to participate in the event, they may be sanctioned on a tribal-slash-state level. This is this is how I would I tell people. Read between the lines. Look at the timeline. Read between the lines. Now... Um, I had a conversation with the UFC after that story came out. I got a phone call about 11 o'clock that night. Uh, you didn't tell okay. me this. You didn't tell me this. Very cordial conversation. Okay. Very cordial conversation. Was not no anger toward, you know, right. the, it was just kind of discussing things. Very good conversation. Um, and then, of course, uh, about 12 hours after uh, I got the initial statement from the ABC board of directors, the ABC president, Brian Dunn, who's out in Nebraska, he was elected last year because Mike Bozzoli had come up with his term uh, on term limits. He said this, quote, I have discussed the matter with the ABC board of directors and officials from the UFC. They agreed to increase medical presence and regulate the event by international standards. The official ABC position is neutral on the matter as we do not have jurisdiction. Once again, read between the lines and follow the timeline. And what was amazing to me about when I put that statement out, because look, my article, there was zero opinion in it. Zero opinion at all. It was three quotes and basically me transitioning from one quote to another is that there is a lot of people that a have no idea what NSF means on the official MA registry. Right. And should be noted that, look, I love going to tapology. Tapology is a great resource. I think they're the best resource when you are looking up fighter information. You know, people always will say, oh, sure dog records. It's not the official registry, folks. It's not. Tapology's not the official registry. Yep. Mixedmartialarts.com is the official registry. This is where state athletic commissions put in the information. Also put in the fact of, are they under suspension? And, and as I noted to somebody, I said, I go, at the end of the day, is NSF a big deal? No. Because go and, and I use this fire as an example, not not trying to point them out. I'm just using them purely as an example. Alexander Volkanovsky. Go to mixedmartialarts.com. Look at every single one of his fights before the UFC. They're all labeled NSF. And it, it, it also showed me that there's a lot of people who their business is mixed martial arts yeah. that don't understand the regulatory side. You know, someone going, well, Bellator goes internationally. How is that not NSF? Um, it's because they're regulated by a ABC commission and the Mohegan tribe and Mike Bazzulli handle all aspects of this. This is one of the things of, you know, I mentioned when we did the show last time, there are 
there are times where if a promoter deserves praise, you give them praise. But if they deserve criticism and fair criticism, you offer that criticism. You know, when Bellator did that show in Italy a couple years ago, it was, uh, I forget who the main event was. I want to say Brian Rogers was on that card against Alessio Saccaro. Maybe Patricky Pitbull was on that card. They self-regulated that event with Corey Schaefer. After that event, Scott Coker said, you know what? No, we, we need to we need to bring somebody in. Yep. And they hired the Mohegan tribe. And, and I think that's one of the best decisions that Scott Coker has made as president of Bellator. He deserves a lot of praise for what he did there. He saw, he looked at it and said, you know what? We, we need to go better here. And he did that. He deserves a, a lot of praise for that. And also a lot of people don't, un, I, you know, cause it was always, it's told to me is when, when the UFC goes internationally, they work with Nevada inspectors, Nevada doctors, and they they bring those people with them to regulate it. That is why it's not a NSF fight. It's still, if it, it falls right. under. So that, that was one thing that really stuck out to me was that just people, there's a, a, a lot of people that may not quite understand exactly how that, that works. They don't understand how the regulatory side of it works. And John McCarthy on his podcast made a great point is the fact of the UFC was attempting to self-regulate a show inside the United States, yeah. not outside the United States. Well, yeah, it just, it would have been, it's very bizarre. And that's why, you know, on, on March 31st, I believe I posted something, you know, on my Twitter that, that said it was I didn't see how it was going to be logistically possible for UFC 249 to happen. And Malki Kawa replied, you know, I felt it was a very arrogant, you know, tweet. Maybe I misinterpreted it. And, may, you know, if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. But said that, you know, he said, barring a, a, a national shutdown, that 249 was going to happen. Well, there wasn't a national shutdown and 249 didn't happen. And, you know, it, 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 it was due to the logistics of it, you know, and, you know, it's just, uh, you know, how, you know, I, I would like to see MMA. I would like to see a lot of stuff come back. I would like to get back to normal. But at what cost? How bad are you willing to do it? You know, they were going to bring people out there, potentially, you know, subject them to, to getting COVID or spreading COVID. And they were going to do, you know, a, a non-sanctioned, self-regulated show on U.S. territory against the advice of the ABC. It just, it, it, you know, I I didn't celebrate the cancellation, but I felt a lot better about it because the event didn't feel right. Every time I saw people say the media was celebrating, I was like, "What? what please show me the Ooh. example." I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't understand that. It's, you know, I think you have a lot of managers and they're not being transparent. Their fighters are suffering. And if their fighters aren't making money and they're suffering, they are too. No commissions are getting paid out. And rather than, you know, take a more honest and earnest approach and say, hey, look, um, you know, we're, we're struggling right now. They're they're lashing out. You know, they're not able to uh, they don't have the tools or the skills to properly articulate what's what they're really feeling and what they're really thinking. And they're grasping at straws. And, uh, you know, that could be the segue to talk about Jason House's ill-advised series of tweets. So I want to bring up and full disclosure, I've interviewed a lot of Jason House clients. Um, and when I saw this tweet, I was I don't know. Maybe he was talking about me. I don't know. I don't feel like I have been 
negative. I think I've offered fair criticism. I, I've sat there and said, yeah, I want to see sports, but I also understand we're in a global pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like when everything kind of went down, the one fighter that I've really like watched what he said, and, and I agree with a lot of what he says, is Aljamain Sterling. And, and when it was uh, announced that this fight car was postponed, Aljamain tweeted, sad for the fighters and fans who got their hopes up for this. But maybe it's best to give this virus more time to blow over. It's probably bittersweet for many of the workers and fighters scheduled to scrap. We all want to make money, but we want to protect our families too. And he's and he's had other tweets that have just been just very spot on. Um, and, and he's an intelligent guy. The, the UFC should maybe hire him to be their spokesperson during this crisis. Um, you know, it's just it's it's sad and unfortunate, but you're seeing the true nature of a lot of MMA managers. They are guns for hire. They are mercenaries. And they're some of the most selfish people that I have ever met, having done business with quite a few of them when I was you know, with Bellator. And, you know, I, I felt that Jason House's tweet, I'm not going to judge his character. I only met him a couple times when I was with Bellator. Seemed like a, a, a fine, you know, seemed fine. Um, no issue with them personally, but those tweets were ill-advised. They they were completely unprofessional, and they they were they were stupid. They, you know, the, the, this this notion by this small, loud minority in MMA, the, these these fans that are just not connected to what's going on in reality right now, their their position that the media. You know, three or four cranky media personalities got this event canceled. You know, I like Luke Thomas. I think he does a great job. Uh, But I think even Luke Thomas might admit that he doesn't have the power to get a UFC event canceled. And it was kind of funny. I saw a tweet where someone was accusing Luke of having gotten this canceled. And and someone said, well, if Luke has that power, maybe you should be nicer to Luke Thomas. Because this guy has been very critical of Luke. So the media doesn't have that power. Whether it was going to get canceled last week or 24 hours before the UFC is long graduated from the days where they could fly under the radar. This is not the 90s. It's 2020 people. You know, they're, they're broadcast by ESPN. Not to mention they were going to have commission officials work this event. Whether or not it was, an, you know, a full, you know, ABC sanctioned and, and, and governed commission. So you have government, you know, you have commission officials and you have California, the California Athletic Commission, which is a, an extension of the government in California that was not necessarily pleased with the fact that the UFC was going to forge ahead with this show. They're not sanctioning any events in California. So whether it was Jeff Sherwood, Josh Gross, or the New York Times, you might think that the commission, whose business it is to know what's going on in their state and know about MMA, you would think maybe it's someone from the, the commission potentially at some point would have picked up the phone and called the governor's office and said, hey, this is what's going on here. So th- th- this this ridiculous notion that, oh, you know, Jeff Sherwood and the New York Times somehow foiled these plans. And had they not said anything, uh, you know, it, 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 this would have uh, flew under the radar and happened. There was no way this was going to fly under the radar. I got a news flash for people, a news flash for people. There are no live sporting events going on right now. Virtually nothing is going on. So anybody, any major sports organization that does anything, it's going to get covered. It's going to get picked up. Look at the ESPN ticker, the, the, the news stories they're running. I was watching ESPN yesterday. I can't believe I, I'm ashamed to admit this. I was watching uh, Patrick Beverly play Andre 
Drummond in some kind of quarterfinal of an NBA 2K yeah. tournament. And Jason, I watched the whole thing. Why? Because there's nothing going on. So, you know, whoever's the first to come back and do this and do a live sporting event, it's going to get massive coverage. Maybe if Jeff Sherwood or the New York Times hadn't discussed this last week, maybe we would have made it into fight week. But at some point, Governor Newsom was going to pick up a phone and start calling people. I, I think that I, I and look, I don't know this. Um, personally, but I would be shocked if Andy Foster and, and, and the governor of California did not have a conversation at multiple times last week about this. I'd be you shocked that, if that did not happen. You would think that Andy Foster has a fiduciary responsibility to keep Governor Newsom apprised with what's going on. If I was Governor Newsom and this event somehow happened under my nose in my own state, I would have called Andy Foster and said, hey, you're my you're my fight commission guy. You're supposed to know everything that goes on in this state that's fight related. Why didn't I get a phone call for you from you? Why? Do you, how did this happen? Yeah, because in the, the day, the the executive director commission is appointed by the governor. So if he right. did, Andy Foster would probably be out of a job. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, you, you see these tweets, and you know, as I mentioned, full disclosure, I've done a bunch of interviews with Jason House clients. I've I've had I've done interviews with Jason House. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about, but when I saw his tweet and this was a tweet, he goes, quote, to all MMA media that has been so negative towards the UFC and their business decision, uh, criticizing from the sidelines is pathetic. If you don't have anything positive to say now, then don't bother contacting us for interviews later. Before we get in that, I want to mention some follow-ups. So John Fuller, who's a PR representative, he has worked with several UFC fighters. At one time, he did work with John Jones. He goes, he tweets this, as a sports publicist, mostly MLB, but have rep four UFC champions, this isn't the way to go. If you want to cut the media that resorts to vulgar, insulting, slash name-calling, fine. But the media's job is checks and balances. Fair criticism are part of that. That only hurts your clients. The next tweet. I did not realize this till this morning when I pulled this tweet because I knew I wanted to bring it up. It's Benson Henderson response. Benson Henderson, and he tweets to John and also Jason House. My man, I agree with you. I'm pretty sure Benson has worked with John before. Here's what makes this interesting. Benson Henderson's manager, Jason House. Now, now let me, let me, there is, this is a, what Jason House did here is a play out of the UFC and Dana White playbook. Yeah. It is, and Luke Thomas talked about this months ago. Promoters have this power leverage over the media and that power is, is, is access. Uh, of the ability of whether you want to come cover event, get an interview, whatnot. I'm in a unique situation because I don't answer to an editor. I answer myself. Now, if Jason House doesn't like how I have talked about this on this show or my regular podcast, cool. You, you don't want me to interview your fighters? It doesn't hurt me. It really doesn't. I, I can sit there and do a podcast and sit there for an hour and talk to my co-host Daniel and we still have advertising. Um, I, I, my guess is that Jason House is directing his frustration and anger towards Luke Thomas and Trent Reinsmith, who, who Trent obviously has been very uh, vocal with his his criticism. Wait, uh, there's wait, look, there's a lot, I, a lot of times I don't think it's fair criticism. 
Yeah, I, I think Trent is over the top negative towards the UFC. I haven't seen much positive coverage of the UFC when the UFC does do positive things. If I'm Jason House, I pick up the phone, I call Trent Ryan Smith, or I DM him, and I keep it private. I'm not going to get into a, a public a spat with him. I get it that managers and, and people in all walks of life are upset and frustrated, and I think that they don't know they're, – they're, they're looking to blame someone – when there really is no one to blame. You can't control everything in life. And this is a global pandemic. It's not the media's fault. It's not, you know, any single particular nationality's fault, blaming an entire country of people for this. People just have to learn to let go of the things that they can't control and deal honestly with their frustrations rather than trying to redirect it and blame others it, it, we're not going to get anywhere doing this. And, you know, people like Jason House and Malcolm Kyle have to understand, yes, they are probably suffering financially. Their fighters are suffering financially. But we are all in this together. This is not a situation that impacts a small segment of society. The entire globe is going through this right now, not just a few individuals. And it seems very selfish when they put these tweets out there complaining and whining, pointing figure, fingers and, you know, carrying on like small children in certain instances like Jason House did. And, you know, if I was friends with Jason House, if I was friends with Malki Kawa, I would pick up the phone and say, hey, you're not coming off real well right now. You should stop. But stop. Get off social media for a little bit. Understand that, they're, that people are dying right now. People are you're, you're suffering financially. Your fighters are suffering financially. But in the United States alone, in the last three weeks, 17 million plus jobless claims. Everyone's suffering in one way or the other right now. And look, it should be noted. The, the, the reality is that Jason House was going to have three fighters on that UFC 249 card. Alexander Hernandez, Kamworthy, and Chito Vera. Um, I, I think it's I would think it's more frustration coming from Jason House. Um, you know, I, I think threatening the media with access is not the way to go. He has an excellent PR guy who is who I, I deal with in terms of interviews. He pitches interviews to me, whatnot. And it's one of those things someone asked me the other day goes, Are you concerned of, of potentially losing access to Iridium clients? I go, if that if that's what it is, I go, I, I just move on. I just yep. move on. I, I'm like, I am sure there are other reporters out there that, you know, they have editors that they're responsible to get content to. They're probably concerned about it. You know, maybe, maybe this is going to blow over time, but I also, another tweet I saw was Nate Quarry who was responding to a tweet from uh, John Nash and, and where John said, so weird that only is the biggest star in the sport, a promoter, but somehow there's a cult of personality around them as well. Only comparison I can make is with Vince McGann, Vince McMahon, which I guess probably explains it. Nate responds with not to mention managers who take better care of the promoter than the actual fighters. Can't wait for their names to come to light during testimony, obviously meaning about the antitrust lawsuit. Um, and, and I think the key is if you're a fighter listening to this, if your manager has not brought to you about how you can make an unemployment claim because of being an independent contractor, you need to start asking your manager a lot of questions of why that's not been brought up to you. Well, I think the point that Nate's also making here is that a lot of managers experience you know a conflict of interest really their, their fiduciary responsibility is to their client to represent their client's best interest of all, all times and not their own but a lot of them place their self-interests ahead of their fighters and they you know get in bed with the ufc maybe a little too much and they jeopardize and they sacrifice what's best for their fighters in order to do so and i think what nate's suggesting here is that some of those managers that are in violation 
that have uh, you know succumbed to a conflict of interest that they're going to be exposed potentially coming up. And that raised a lot of eyebrows when that tweet was issued. And, you know, there's probably some managers out there that uh, need to be concerned because if, if, if their activities behind the scenes are brought to light, if, if, if this lawsuit uh, generates, you know, emails behind the scenes and text messages that were subpoenaed that potentially show this conflict, that display this conflict and it gets publicized, you know, there's potentially managers that could lose their business. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's one of the things of the other, you know, the play that also managers and particularly we've seen with Jason House here, it's a play out of the UFC playbook is that they view the media as an extension of their PR department. And you have to understand that they view some of the managers as extension of their matchmaking department. Yeah. At the end of the day is, you know, look, I am not going to change who I am to get an interview. I am going to sit there, you know, because one thing is, is I sit here and do a podcast. You, you, the people that take time to download my show each and every week, I want them to walk away from that show going, I know how Jason feels. I don't hold back. Now, look, there is there off the record things that are said to me that I can't say. Of course there is. But when you download my show, you're going to know how I feel about a situation. I'm not going to taper my feel, my, my thoughts because of some relationship that a manager has. And if that ends me getting um, interviews with Iridium clients, all right, that's, that's, I'm not changing my show because a manager doesn't want me to criticize the UFC. If there's criticism that needs to be put out there, as I say, I will praise a promoter when they're doing well, but when there's fair criticism being made, I'm going to make that. And a question we got was from at MMA underscore nostalgia 47. He says, were you surprised by the ill informed, at least to me statements by some MMA managers after the event got postponed? I I'm not. It's, it's MMA. This is not major league baseball and NFL where you have to be accredited and licensed to represent athletes. Anyone that wakes up and decides to, 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 to be a manager can be a manager. Uncle Joe, Schmo can be a manager, you know, anyone, you know, if they think it's cool and they, they want to be around, you know, dudes and, and women that, that fight so they can feel tough and live vicariously through them, they can do that. You know, and there's some obviously much higher level, professional level managers that are in this business. You know, I always loved working with people like Monty Cox, David Martin, Brian Butler and the whole Sucker Punch gang. You know, they're, 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 those are just a couple of the, the agencies and managers that, that, that I respect. But you have a lot of people in the MMA management industry that have been talking out of their ass for years. I'll leave on this note. Um, I've always wondered, you know, because we always talk about a fire association, fire union. And I've always said, I think I've always wondered, is part of the issue going to be on the management side? Because if you bring in a player's association, all of a sudden they regulate the percentage you can take of a player's contract. It'll be significantly less than what athletes are currently giving up in MMA. Is that also part of the problem? Maybe why we haven't seen a union ultimately come together. Well, you know, we could talk about that. That's a whole nother show that we could do. That's all two hour podcast (laughs) that we can do right there. But, uh, you know, I, We'll we'll never see a union in our time, Jason. Not not in MMA. No, absolutely not. If you look at that Wall Street Journal with the amount of money that ESPN is paying the UFC, if that's not going to wake up fighters, because here's the one thing: the media has always defended the fighters about how they need to be paid more, they need to get bigger percentage of the revenue. 
That's why, to me, it's comical when people are trying to say the media celebrated this. Yeah, it's it's yeah, show me the media that celebrated this. You know, show me. You know, maybe a couple people, you know, that that are a little off kilter in the MMA industry, but. By and large, you know, I think you look at Josh Gross, you look at Luke Thomas, you look at a lot of people that that have, you know, they're 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 educated on this of what's going on in the world, and they're coming from a place of genuine concern and compassion for for humanity. Couple, uh, one quick point I want to raise here, and it's it's a question that I would love to get answered. Did did ESPN financially remunerate the UFC for the attempted Tachi show? If the UFC can't produce the content, if they can't deliver. They're in no position to get paid. But if they do everything that that's that's, uh, you know, in their power to put the event on and they're ready, willing and able to do it. And Disney and ESPN tells the UFC and Dana White to stand down. You know, it's like, well, hey, we're contracted to provide you events. You're contracted to pay us for those events. We're going to produce the event. Did, did, did the UFC get some kind of payment? And hopefully and I think Dana alluded to it. I think they are going to compensate some of the fighters. Um, and I, another point I want to make, you know, we've, we've talked about Dana White in a little bit of a critical light here during the show. That would be an understatement. But one positive thing that I do want to say about Dana, I applaud his efforts. I think that every CEO, every, you know, person that is in a leadership position with a business, whether it's sports or, or non-related, should be investigating every day ways to potentially get back. I'm not saying they should go back and do it, but they should be looking to see if there's a safe way to do it. They should be looking out. And Dana gets a lot of credit for trying to continue uh, to, 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 to operate so that his employees can make money, the fighters can make money, and they have not laid off a single employee. A lot of companies out there, and some of them, you know, smaller companies, the, the, the money's not coming in and they have no way, that, you know, there's no money in the bank account to issue a paycheck. But there's some very large companies that do have a war chest, they do have money, and they are still laying people off. They're, they're thinking that, hey, you know, these people that we lay off and furlough, they'll just collect unemployment. They'll be fine and we get to save money. Uh, the UFC has not done that. I applaud Dana White for doing that. I think Dana White is working very hard. I commend him for that. But I think Dana White needs to work, start working smart. Yeah. It, I mean, look, I, I said on my podcast last week, if Dana White can pull this off, kudos to him. You know? I, I, I think this Fight Island thing could work. I, you know, maybe it doesn't happen May, middle of May, but – I, I think it's going to happen. I think the only thing that can shut this down is a backlash of public negativity. And if, you know, Disney and ESPN feel the heat, they can pull the plug on this. But I think that as time goes on, that people are going to be more and more open to the idea of us regaining some sense of normalcy in this country. And if Dana White can do it in a safe way and, and be a lot more transparent and communicate better to the public and be a little bit more diplomatic in how he communicates it, I think that he can get the public overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly on his side to, do, to start doing fights on, it, on the island. Yeah, and the, on the media side, the reality is there's going to be many people who are going to lose their jobs over the next week or two. I, yep. I, you know, just because of, you know, you know, people are not coming to websites. I had someone tweet me the other day. It's like, he was like, hey, I, I love this show, respect what you do. He goes, just understand that because of this, I'm just not really taking in content until yep. fights get back. And I totally get that. And, and it's unfortunate, but it, it's a state that we live in. But uh, Sam, as always, man, great to sit here and, and chat with you. Uh, you know, happy Easter. We're recording this on uh, you know April 12th, 2020. It's Easter. Happy Easter to everyone. It's in the middle of Passover. Happy Passover to everyone that celebrates. And I also want to say real quick before we get out of here, you know, everyone that's watching this, whether they're in the U.S. or in other countries tuning in, 
you know, I want, you know, I want, you know, them to know that you and I want them to stay safe, you know, and, and I want to tell everyone to stay strong as well. It might be difficult for you right now, but you're not alone in going through this. We are not only going through this as a country, as a nation, we're going through this together as an entire globe. And of course, uh, be sure to give Sam a follow on Twitter at Sam Kaplan, B-A-C. I am at Jason underscore Floyd. As always, appreciate everyone who uh, tunes in to listen to me and Sam. So uh, if you ever got any questions, comments toward us, all you got to do is tweet at us. Tweet at us. And of course, this has been another episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Hey, everybody, this week on Duffified Live, we've got a chef. Yep, we got a chef. His name is Mike Harris, and Mike used to be with McDonald's. So I got a pretty good feeling we're going to get some secrets. You know, when I worked for McDonald's, I spent more time behind mirrored glass serving consumers stuff. And some of the things I would hear, like, would destroy my brain. So, like, um... I'm a I'm a certified barbecue judge and I do like KCBS barbecue competitions on the side. Okay. So we were doing a like a some kind of barbecue burger or chicken or whatever it was, and I made this banging barbecue sauce that like, you know, people on the circuit would be like, "This is legit. This is how you do it." <laughs> so I serve a bunch of McDonald's consumers this, and they're like, "What is this? Why can't you just put the McRib sauce on everything? Oh, like, what are you doing? What are you talking about?" So. <laughs> And once again, it's like, okay, that is that is the consumer base. Three other guys in white chef coats are holding you back like you're getting ready to start banging on the mirror. It happens every time. This was and like four (laughs) years ago, like, hey, let's do sriracha. And there are consumers out there who still have no idea what sriracha is. They haven't even heard of it. There are so many consumers that are not. You know, you know, foodies or um, on social media, like a majority of Americans don't really care and i wouldn't say don't care but are not like that's not their thing it's just um, not but sure. then, then you have a a, a good vocal minority who kind of help get the trends going and things like that as far as you know high-end restaurants getting new ingredients and how that trend curve happens in our society it was interesting to be in that big machine like mcdonald's in my previous life but I do. I definitely can do both sides. So depending on who my customer is, I have to know, uh, you know, make things for them and not assume that they want my awesome creation. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com.